Film episode 160 of Talking Bollocks brought to you by Go Loud. It's me, Teddy Flower. It's me, CLB. And this week we're joined by... Georgie Crawford, hi. Georgie, what's the story? How are you? I am so happy to be here on such a big week in your lives as well. And congratulations on the late lady. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. How do you feel about Calvin? Yeah, like... My honest assessment of it all, yeah. As I was saying to Georgie beforehand, yeah, we were rattled going in. I was, I told Georgie when we got the reception, I knew he would be the one, like, if Terence would be bouncing off the walls, I'd try and dampen it all and be like, it's grand, it's grand, sit down, will you be grand? And I was like, Terence, and I was like, shaking, put my hand out, I couldn't keep that's it That's when I knew it was bad. <laughs> yeah, he always plays it off, and when he goes, Terence, I'm shaking, I've never been this nervous. I was going to go to taxi home. I was yeah. going to live there and then. And we were only in the reception. We hadn't <laughs> even met anybody yet. And then, um, yeah. So we went in and it was like everybody was there before us, even though we were there early enough. We got there at nine and they were like, mm-hmm. once you're there before half nine. Um, and we're in the green room. We went to the dressing room. We were floating in and out and we seen Patrick talking to somebody and it looked like he was collared, didn't it? Like he was like stuck and I got to about quarter past and I was like, we're not going to see him. He's out there now in like 15 minutes. And then he walked past the green room, popped his head in and came back and like went out of his way to talk to us. And I was like, that, that was nice. It's like, appreciate that. Yeah, you do. And then he just had a chat with us, had a laugh with us, kind of put us at ease. He was like, look, it's grand. Just be yourselves. We'll take this whichever way you want to take it. And then I was like, yeah, that, that that's nice. And then we were just sitting there trying to decompress. They had the rugby on. Then they were playing the show live. And then you're just chilling out there. But like, it's a lot. Uh, it is a long time to dwell with your thoughts on all, isn't it, Terence? Yeah, it's the most nervous I've ever been. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Because you don't, because... It's not our crowd, so it's not like our, our shows were obviously very nervous, but you know it's your crowd and mm-hmm. your people and they're coming to see you, so you actually can't even fuck her up. No. So it's like been many times at live shows where I've like completely forgot what I was talking about and all. They all just they all just cheer and slag it and act the bollocks, but they love it, you know what I mean? So when you're going out and it's not your crowd, you're kind of rattling. And uh, you asked us what we did after. Yeah, that's what we want to know. What did you do <laughs> afterwards? We went back to Green Room where... Eight people, and I think seven of them don't drink. Yeah, seven of them don't drink. <laughs> and it was a free bar. Yeah. And I went home, got a Domino's, and went to bed. So this was like, people are like, he's going to wear suits. And, and we were like, no. And they were like, why? It's the late, late. And not to be disrespectful to the late, late, but like, we wear suits at our shows. It's a two-hour show. And then we go out on the night out after and we celebrate with our family and friends and whatever. I, like, imagine we went and got a three-piece and whatever, and we were in a full suit for 15 minutes interview and then home to get a dominoes and straight to bed like to me it was just like I'm not getting a suit to go to bed straight after do you get me so but we looked all right you like, looked oh. gorgeous you're up now with that job no you did you did and I have to say <laughs> the, the question you asked him at the start was brilliant you spoke from the heart mm. which I think is really important people can see through that right if mm. you're talking bollocks mm. or not but you guys spoke from the heart and it was lovely to see your mum there I got emotional watching it. Um, so you're on the best slot. Like, it, it couldn't have gone better. Yeah, thanks, mm. I'm so yeah. happy for you. Look, I thought it could have been better, but look, it's done now. You can't go back in time, can you? It's done. It's out there. And the positive, it's all positive feedback. Yeah. So, and, and they were happy with it as well. Yeah. They, they, they pulled us after and a few producers pulled us. I forgot to tell you as well, a woman came into the green room and she pulled me. And I say she was in her early 70s and she says she was from Mayo. Never heard of us, and she says she couldn't wait to come and listen to the podcast. Oh, ah, what a you love that feedback! Yeah, and it, like, cause she pulled us straight off the stage, and then she pulled us down when she was leaving, and I was like, "Oh, thanks very much." See that? I love that. I love when people aren't from our area as well, because a bloke pulled me yesterday. I was up in the uh, up in the park yesterday doing a run, and uh, a bloke pulled me after, and he said to me, "Look, just want to say congratulations. Just changed my perception on people and tracksuits and people from your area and all." And see that? That's the best feedback you can get in the world, because that's exactly what we're aiming to do. It's not yeah. like you are great. Cousins are great. Or I don't really like that. You know what I mean? Don't don't try and put us anywhere. We are just yeah. two fucking idiots at the end of the day, and we're just having a buzz. And for some reason, we're on the late light and all. That's just how it is. So we're obviously but, stuck. When, yeah, <laughs> when you hear positive feedback like that, that's what it's all worth. Well, so enough about all that, Georgie. When do you know what a singer is? Uh, no, I'm unfamiliar. 
Don't ask me any of these questions, please. <laughs> okay, go on. We're just moving on, Con. She just went, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Late Late Show and people give the feedback, but you know where a singer is. Oh, I have ADHD. Um, right, George, we'll just jump straight into you then, because none of us have singers, do we? No. We're all yeah. out. George, what we do with every guest is, yeah, take us back to the start. What's your name? Where'd you come from? What was life like growing up for you? Okay, so... Uh... Well, this is interesting. I suppose growing up, uh, my parents had broken up when I was two. Um, and I and I spoke about this in my book. I was Georgie to my mum and Georgina to my dad. So I kind of had two identities growing up, growing up on two different sides of the city. And I think when I got my job in radio, I finally became Georgie, the person who I always wanted to be, the one person. And um, I started working in radio. I found my true loves in radio, my people, and um, thought maybe I'd go in for a year or two, but ended up staying for 12 years, as what, you do. <laughs> what made you want to work in radio? I think I always prided myself on knowing things. And that, I think, the more I think about it and the more I move through life, it was great in some ways, but also kind of held me back in other ways. So even say, for example, if there was a big news story in, in America or something, I, I always loved being the first person to know. I always announced it to the class. I always loved writing and listening to the news. And we were a big radio household. We loved Jerry Ryan and always spoke about radio over dinner. So it, it kind of made sense. I loved the spinnies. I went in, which was the promotional team in spin. And I thought if I go in and earn my stripes in the spinnies, maybe someone will give me a shift on the news desk. And that day did come. I studied journalism in college and I became Georgie with the story on the radio, which was a job that I absolutely loved. And I wouldn't have been able to create my business. I wouldn't be where I am today without those days in the newsroom. Yeah. You were in here. She only, uh, she stopped outside to talk. You must have walked with the people that are sitting outside then, did you? Yeah, like coming into this building, Marconi House, it's um, a lot of memories in here. It's where I came back to work after I was sick. I, I walked back into this building after being sick off work for 18 months and still wearing my wig, embraced by my colleagues who had gone on the journey with me, who were so supportive. And then I came back to work for six months. I worked at 98 FM at that stage. And that's when I began to realize that it wasn't what I wanted anymore. And that was a huge realization for me and a huge pivot in my life. And probably the first time in my life that I took a real bet on myself and backed myself and believed in myself. And, you know, I spoke there about priding myself on knowing everything. But I started to see that my need to know everything or my need to always have the answers and my need to do my best at everything I put my mind to was actually making me sick. Mm. And I surrendered. I surrendered the day I quit my job. And it was a huge moment for me walking out of this building. It's still, it's still so emotional. But I walked out um, and I kind of was like, well, I might be back in a year. Maybe I just need some more time. But I knew deep down I'd never be back. Mm. What were you like in school and college? What was that like for you? I was kind of, I would say, an in-betweener. Like I wasn't like in the cool gang. I, I played basketball. I didn't, I wasn't one of the hockey girls. Um, a little bit shy. I'm really shy person. Uh, I don't know if you picked up on that, but I'm really shy and I tried to do my best. But um, yeah, I suppose I was eager to learn when I was learning things that were interesting to me. I went out when I was 15 and got my first job because... I kind of, I was more of a worker than into learning things. Mm, yeah. So I went out, I remember with my CV and it came out of my housing estate and turned left. And I went down to the, oh God, what would they have been before Topaz? Like this, whatever the local garage was. And I went in with my CV and I said, hi, any jobs going? And they were like, no. And then there was this Italian restaurant across the road and I walked over and as a 15 year old, you know, walked in and I said, hi, um, any jobs going? And it was packed, Little Caesars. I don't know if you know that restaurant. Um, it was packed and the manager kind of came up to me. He goes, 
you all right there? And I said, yeah, do you have any jobs going? How old are you? Oh, I'm 16. And he said, yes, you can start on Saturday at 10. And I said, 10 o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock at night? Like I was so naive. Yeah. And he was like, 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I walked in the, and I worked there for 10 years. 10 years? Yeah. So you've worked there for 10 years and in radio. Yeah, so I overlapped. So I, I started, obviously, I was only in like third year or so that's something. that's what I was going to say, obviously balancing the two of them. Yeah, so that's what I mean. I was always a worker. I always had loads of jobs on the go, you know. Uh, when I left college, I was like, that's it. I never want to learn anything <laughs> ever again. I never want to pick up a book. And that was one of my biggest problems is that I thought I knew it all in my life. But um, I was determined to just get into the workforce. And what, 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 where do you think that drive comes from? To, to have to balance the two jobs and it was obviously stressful for you. Yeah, maybe I was trying to find purpose or belonging. Uh, like I have an amazing family, amazing support around me, but I was always really independent. I always wanted, my mum was always chasing me around the place, trying to pin me down. I was always on the go. Maybe I was running, you know, mm -hmm. maybe I couldn't sit still with myself. Um, I certainly didn't want to be studying. I was spent more time in detention than the library, you know, uh, because I was late every day. So, yeah, I think I was just always, always chasing things, mm. always on to the next, like never content with just being. And when I got sick, then I was forced to stop. And I was 32 and I, and I realized pretty quickly that I'd never stopped in my life. Mm. So you said that at the start about when your parents split up, you basically became two different people. So do you think that you were struggling to find yourself and then when you did get sick, everything gets put on hold? Do you think that gives you the clarity? Like, do, you, do you have like an epiphany then and be like, hang on for a minute, this life is too short or what, what happens there? Yeah, it's a great question because, and it's something, it's such a sensitive topic and there's so many people when I tell this story who might get in touch with me and say, oh God, I didn't realise that I call my daughter one name and her dad calls her a different name. And how does that make her feel? And maybe it's okay if you're all in the same house, but when I'm Georgina in one half of my life and Georgie in the other half, like it was, it was really hard, you know, because I had to, Georgina was this certain type of person and then Georgie w was a different person. And because we are different around each different parent, right? Mm. So I think when I stopped, I'd never really thought about that before until I stopped. Mm. And actually, when I got sick, I was like, I actually want to live. And not just for my mom and not just for my daughter and not just for Jamie. I want to live because actually I like my life and I like myself. I think that was the first time I felt worthy and a sense of real belonging. I felt like I belonged in the world and I wanted to stay here. And so I remember thinking, I am actually going to get to know who I really am. And that's when the mask came down. And, you know, you, you've spoken to Jerry on the podcast and we often live behind these masks, don't we? Mm -hmm. I think even for so many years, I lived behind my hair. You know, my hair was my thing. I was always back home my hair. I always had the giant hairspray on my desk. And people used to kind of slag me about it. When you're stripped, when it's all stripped away and you're just left with yourself and time, you have some pretty important decisions to make. And I remember thinking to myself, most of the things that I've been telling myself about myself are wrong. You know, and... I want to get to know who I am, what am I made of? And yeah, that does come with the fright of thinking, you know, could my life be over soon and getting that second chance. Mm. You have a real positive kind of mindset afterwards. You do like, and I'm sure that can't be easy for you. So you've obviously done an awful lot of work after being sick on yourself. When did you get sick, Georgie? I was 32, 2017. So I'm six years cancer free now. Unbelievable. How did you find out about that? And what, what was that like for you at that time? I, in hindsight, I didn't feel well. And, you know, I remember I just had a baby. So Pia was seven months old. I was completely in that new mom, didn't have a clue what I was doing. Had loads of support around me, but kind of wanted to do it myself. Breastfed, like 
only, you know, was breastfeeding all the time. Like I was putting myself under so much pressure to be this perfect mom. I went from trying to be the perfect employee to the perfect mom. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't feel well. And I'd look at myself in the mirror. And when I do my corporate talks, I show a photo of myself with no hair halfway through my chemotherapy treatment. But I also show a photo of myself right before I got sick. And one day somebody put up their hand in a corporate talk and they said, I hope I don't offend you by saying this, but I actually think you look worse before you got sick than when you were sick. Mm. And when I look at that photo, it's so true. I look so unwell. So in chemotherapy, you know, when I had no hair, you'd look at me and go, that poor girl, you know, she's struggling so much. She's so sick. I wasn't. I had light in my eyes. I had love in my heart. It was the before that was more alarming and how I treated myself, how I spoke to myself every day, how I had become so distant from that voice in your head that's trying to help you like, hey, you're thirsty, grab a glass of water, would just ignore it. Mm. No, no water, no healthy food, no exercise, nothing like had completely turned my back on myself. And I don't know if something was going on after having a baby or what was wrong with me. Um, but it was it was it was really bad right before I got sick. Was there a point where you were looking after yourself and then you stopped looking after yourself? Like, mm. do you feel like there was a point prior to the baby where you were healthy and you were looking after yourself and you were exercising? No, I, I always tell myself I wasn't the type of person to exercise. Right. I'm, I'm not that type of person, I'd say, because like I was always naturally slim. Yeah. Uh, so I was always like, oh, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fit and healthy. There was times when I did drink water and I did eat healthy food. But I think as the years went on, as I sat at my desk in spin and I was just chipping away at myself year after year after year. And nothing was changing for me. And all I wanted was this job in 98 FM. But I sat in spin and I just felt like I wasn't becoming who I wanted to be because I my self-worth was so low. And the more that I chipped away at myself with my negative thinking, the more then I distanced myself from water, you know, air, nature, exercise. It just was not a part of my life. My husband, Jamie, had been diagnosed with MS when we were dating. So our whole life kind of revolved around him and his health, which, you know, we didn't do intentionally. Mm. But I was always like, I'll be grand, I'll be grand, I'll be grand. So then when I got sick and I was left, you know, with what I was facing, I was like, how did I, how did I expect to be grand? Mm -hmm. So do you think that like, you were struggling mentally, but it took you to struggle physically for you to actually notice that. Yeah, 100%. And Hal Elrod, so he came up with the Miracle Morning, which is like these six uh, habits that he studied millionaires and billionaires. And what do they do in the morning? And then he wrote a book and he put all their habits together in six easy steps. And he said that if you're not investing in yourself in your personal development, you're never going to be where you need to be professionally. So I was showing up every day in work, working really hard, looking for the promotion, but I would no, no personal development, no mm. affirmations, no therapy, no exercise, no healthy way of living. And I just expected to thrive professionally. But actually when I got sick and I flipped the switch and I put all my effort into my personal development, then all of a sudden my professional career exploded. Mm, yeah, that's like, it makes so much sense when you think about it like that. Because when you're walking the shop personally, everything else will come into place, will it? You know what I mean? You mentioned there a couple of minutes ago about saying you just didn't feel like you were the type of person to exercise. I hate when people say that. So I'm like, everybody can exercise. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you can exercise, you should. I don't care how little it is whether it's going for a fucking walk or a run, a marathon, whatever the fuck it is that you're doing. Everybody, what's, what's your take on that now to people who don't exercise? And this is why I love your podcast because I think, and this is what's similar about our podcasts, is that we challenge people 
in their way that they think about things. So I was the person, oh, I do, I'm not the type of person to exercise, but who says? Yeah. Or just because your parents didn't do it or just because your community doesn't do it doesn't mean that you can't do it. Mm. And every day we get a chance to wake up and say, who do I want to be today? Now, I didn't exercise in my before life because I was probably a bit embarrassed. My ego, my, you know, I didn't want to look stupid. That's the truth. I didn't want to look stupid running down the road. But then when I had to, when I was, you know, my oncologist said to me, George, you have to exercise. And I started to exercise. I started to realize all of these things about myself. Oh, my God, I do. I do like jogging. Now, I'm not running down the road with a, like a huge smile on my face, you know, every single day. But I, I, I'm mindful enough now to like feel the benefits. Mm -hmm. And I've gone from that, from the girl who would, you know, lie about forgetting her PE gear because yeah. she didn't want to get out in the hockey pitch and she's embarrassed to this year we're bringing 180 people to the New York half marathon with us. So many of those people that are coming with us told themselves they're not the type of person to exercise, but we're doing it together. And like that feels like a huge moment for me and my business. Mm. Yeah, it is. You know, it's, it's class. And that's what we're always on here encouraging people. And I think what you said there is the most common thing. Like, I have friends who would be a bit on the heavier side, let's say. I don't know what way they, what's the politically correct way of saying that. But anyways, they, and they would say to me, nah, bollocks that, bro, with heavy breathing. And running. And I'm like, who, no one actually gives, no one has ever ran past me and I thought, look at him, heavy yeah. breathing. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Look, like, any time we ever see anybody running, I think, no matter what size you're at, fair, fair bollocks, yeah. Yeah. you're either going lightning quick and you're a rocker or you're somebody and you're, out and you're only starting and you can tell and you're like, fair bollocks. You're, you're least out there. You're out yeah. there getting the graft in and it, there's just so many benefits to exercise in your whole life, like mm. you said, like for personal development. like. And it doesn't have to be running down the road either. There's so many things you can do. Yeah. yeah. Did you see that? Actually, it's one of the, I don't really uh, connect with ads that much, but I keep seeing that TikTok ad of that dad who's seeing um, people he follows on TikTok like doing challenges or you know that fella that's running the whole length of, of Africa, Africa at yeah. the moment he's yeah. in the ad and the dad is looking at the TikTok and he's like oh maybe I could try that and his son does it with him and it's like so great that we're like you can challenge yourself at any when you're at any point of your life. If you're 70 years old you can change your mind about who you are. I was so hung up on the person who I told myself I was that I was so afraid to do something different. I sat on the, on beaches my whole life and in my heart and soul all I wanted to do was get into the water. But I was like, oh no, I'm not the type of person to get in the water. Yeah. I went on to the Caribbean on my honeymoon and stood there looking at the water. Didn't get in because my stories. Mm. I wanted to. Why didn't I just get into the water? But I told myself, no, I don't get into the sea. And the power of those thoughts, how they can absolutely paralyze you in yeah. every way. And that's what happened to me at my desk in spin. I just year after year after year, I just became more and more frozen. Yeah, you deprived yourself of that happiness. And like you were yeah. the only, you were the person standing between yourself and me becoming happy. And then you're the one who's actually providing that sadness. No one else around you. It's all that's all them negative thoughts that are intruding into your head. It's all self-inflicted, which it, it's madness to think about. It. You're like, why am I in this rut? And then you're like, I'm the one who's causing it. You know what I mean? And just touching back on the exercise thing, especially as a parent, I seen something a few weeks ago and I was like, if you are an obese parent, there's a 50% more like chance that your kids will be obese as well. And then when I'm saying that, I'm like, oh, Jesus, like just being active, just to be that role model in your child's life to show like, geez, my man goes for a run or my dad goes to the gym or my parents go for a walk every evening or whatever. That instills that in your kids that getting up and being active is beneficial. And then the mental side of that, the endorphins that come from that. As you said, you're not running down the road with a smile on your face, but I guarantee you feel great after and after you come out of the shower then you're like, you know what, I feel great for getting out and getting that done. Yeah, and it's, um, it's showing, it's showing people around you and do you know Damien Brown? He's the guy that rode across the Atlantic from New York to Galway oh, last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he spoke about um, 
I know anytime I go to tell a story, Jamie like breaks, my husband breaks out in a sweat because I'm kind of bad at telling stories. So. <laughs> uh, but it, I can see it whenever he comes to my corporate talks, like he gets kind of uneasy in his chair when I'm like, I have this great story, but this is a good story. So Damien Brown said like when you're doing the work in your life, right? So you're setting a really good example and you're doing the work and you're investing in yourself every day. Imagine that you're in the center of a piece of tissue and then in one corner of the tissue is your kids and the other corner of the tissue is your partner. The other corner of the tissue is like your parents, your friends. And then in the fourth corner of the tissue is people that look at you from the outside in, like your neighbors or people on social media. And as you're in the center of the tissue and you're doing the work and you're asking yourself the tough questions and you're showing up for your yourself every day, the center of the tissue rises. And what happens to the four corners as the center rises, they rise too. So in those really tough days when I was in my recovery from cancer and I was putting on my runners and getting out to the gym and putting vegetables on my plate and filling up my water bottle every day, I was doing that not just for myself, but so that my child would do that for herself so that my child would not sacrifice herself for everyone else. And that's why I went on this wellness journey, because I was like, I want to show Pia that it's OK for her to say no. It's OK for her not to know everything. It's OK for her to put herself first and she shouldn't be embarrassed to put on her runners and run down the road. So the more you do it, it's like when you throw a, a stone into a really still lake and you see the ripple effect. Like my mom, I believe from me having cancer, has started to look after herself a yeah, little bit more. Yeah. And people around you, you, you lift them higher with you as yeah. you rise. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I know being sick obviously probably put your life into perspective and made you want to start change. But where does this real positive mindset come from? I couldn't solely be from that, is it? I think because uh, I have an insane amount of trust in the universe. And I know that sounds to some people like, shut up, talking about the universe, right? But so many bad things or what could be perceived as bad things have happened to me over the last few years. So Jamie being diagnosed with MS, when that happened, I thought my life was over. I just met him. He's the love of my life. I was like, oh, my God, what the hell are we going to do? I knew nothing about MS other than the worst. And that was 12 years ago. And Jamie is absolutely fine now. He's out trail running, you know, running marathons, doing everything. Healthy, happy. Then when I got cancer, I was like, that's it. Like, you know, my life is over. And then I realized, oh, God, Cancer brought good things to my life. And then, you know, we froze our embryos and our and our embryos went missing for a while in Ukraine. And not that they were just out in the open. We, di we didn't know exactly where they were when the war broke out because I didn't feel like it was appropriate to be asking our clinic, you know, when they were in bunkers, where are our embryos? So we weren't quite sure where they were for a while. And I thought... We were due to do an embryo transfer the week that the war broke out. So I thought that baby, that baby was gone and I'd never meet who that person would be. And then we got our embryos back and then we had our baby tally in Georgia, which is most likely that same embryo. So like I think so many times I have been on my knees and I thought this is the end and then it's not. So anytime something happens to me, I really believe like, you know, if the worst happened in my business and, you know, I love what I do, but I trust, I trust it's just bringing me somewhere and I have to look at life like that mm -hmm. because it's, it's proven that to me again and again. Yeah. Where did the gold glow come from? So I was sitting right <coughs> under us, uh, where we're, we're sitting now in News Talk uh, in the newsroom and I remember looking up one day and it's such a you know yourself down on is it the third floor mm. yeah it's all, all very busy and we're not allowed there. down there yeah. oh are you yeah. not, not right. no. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if I'd be allowed back there now. Uh but I remember I was in between news bulletins and I was talking about like really bad things that were happening 
in the news and I looked up and I could see everyone like milling around the place and I was like where do women in Ireland go to tell their stories at length and it's evolved from not just women on my podcast now to men as well but I remember thinking like everyone's just getting a 12 minute slot around here to tell their stories on on the radio or on TV like I actually want more I want to get to the good stuff I want to Normally, you know, when I was going on talking about my cancer and stuff, it was all the bad stuff and I wasn't getting to the learnings or the good stuff. So I was I, I was like, maybe I should start a podcast. And then I wanted the word glow to be in it because I was getting my glow back in my recovery. Mm. Wasn't that something you'd had thought about maybe before getting sick? Never. 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 Ne- a podcast, no way. Because I would have, I would have said like, what do who would listen to me? Mm. Like that was that was my reality. Like no, no one would care what I have to say. Yeah. Like I just re like I wouldn't have even had belief in myself enough to have a radio show, you know? Because I I was in the newsroom, so I was protected by like scripts and stories that already existed. I didn't have to think of anything, you know, myself or put myself out there really. Yeah. Um. So it didn't matter if people listen to the news or not, but it matters, you know, if they listen to your show. So no, never before. I never would have had the belief in myself to do it. So uh, while you were sick, you obviously had the time away from work. You knew you were going to be coming back to work at some stage. Before you even went back to work, was the idea of the podcast like lingering in your mind and being like, you know what, like I could go back to work, but this thing is manifesting itself in my head as well. No, I came back to work like fully in like my heart and soul in in work. And then one day, actually, I think I told her this story, Instagram went down and I had like a few followers on Instagram at the time. And Roz Purcell, when Instagram came back, did this story and said, see guys, don't put all your eggs in one basket. If your whole career is on Instagram and then Instagram just is no longer anymore, what are you going to do? I remember when she said that, I thought, oh, God, she's such a point there. Like, you know, all this extra work that I was doing, I was an ambassador for the VHI mini marathon and things like that. I said, God, if if I didn't have Instagram, like I would, I'd, ha- I'd this whole so- side hustle thing that I have would disappear. Um, And that's when I thought about the podcast. So it was like she planted a seed in me to think of another way to channel what uh, the journey that I was on, not just through Instagram. And that's when I, I think around the time, like it was only really the Blind Boy podcast. Yeah. Serial had been out. I remember one day I was driving home from work and someone sent me a message and they'd said, oh, by the way, your podcast is trending on Spotify. And I was like, what? You're like, you serious? I was back when you used to say trending. Yeah. What, do you not say trending anymore? It doesn't say trending. No, it oh, right. has Ch- charts. Charting. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, oh, God, what? that's so like, so my intention was never a chart or to be number one or anything like that. It was just another way to talk. But when then when it starts trending, then you're probably thinking there's something going on here. Yeah. Keep going. It was when uh my podcast reached one million downloads, I I left my job. <laughs> <laughs> She's just like a million? I'm gone. Yeah, Love I was done. It was me notice. Yeah. Yeah. But I ha- I asked for a sign. And listen, we're back to the universe. Uh I knew what the answer was. I knew like we all have the answers. I have a podcast with Jerry Hussey at the moment called Better Days and people write in their dilemmas. Yeah. And they all know what they need to do. But somehow, and we all do it, we feel the need to ask other people. You just need know? the confirmation. You just need yeah. to hear it from someone else. Yeah. So you can be like, well, Terence was saying I should do it even though you were going to do it either way. Like, yeah. yeah. So I asked for a sign and I got my sign that day and I was like, shit yeah. oh god now I have to quit but I came home I was in Spain and I came home and I walked in here and I handed in my notice and no one tried to stop me they just let me go <laughs> so you're saying that is that is like yeah in a regretful way like if they had tried to stop you you would have torn back no, no I'm, I'm saying because because I'd put my heart and soul into yeah. something for 12 years and actually no one cared <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, that place would 
fall down without me. Yeah. And then it comes to the day and and listen, I didn't really think that it would. Maybe when I worked in Spain, I did think that a little bit. But when I worked in 98 and in News Talk, I kind of started to see that actually no one really cares. And I, I was like, I have to take a bet on myself because maybe I thought that when I came back in here, they'd say, oh, you should do a wellness show or, you know, that there'd mm. be some sort of plan for me. But then I started to realize, oh, you have to make it for yourself. No one's going to hand it to you. Like those 10 years when I sat in Spain expecting a promotion and wasn't getting it. Actually, no one's going to do it for you. So when I came back and I wasn't getting, no one was talking to me about a show or wellness or anything that I was really focused on. I was like, I'm going to do it, make it myself. I'm going to make my own show. When did you start to go glow? Uh, 2019. And did you, so did you start that off with like telling your story and then gradually moving into guests or did you jump straight in and have a guest straight away? And Straight into guests, loads of people who supported me throughout my diagnosis, like people like Pip O'Connor, Suzanne Jackson, Rosie Connolly, all of these amazing people were, I would reach out and say, oh God, I'm like, would you mind coming on my podcast and they all just were like yes 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 then they'd share it with their followers then it was like everyone wrapped their arms around me and helped me do it in Ireland yeah. and then I started to look at getting people like Wim Hof, Mel Robbins, Gabby Bernstein and going international with it Spencer Matthews like he was brilliant and once you get one big guest and then you send it on to the next people, they'll go, oh, well, Wim Hof did it, I'll do it. It's mm. networking yeah. really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you ever feel vulnerable online or on your podcast when you talk about your story? I feel more, I feel really protected in my podcast space. I don't know about you guys, if you feel the same. I feel like everyone who listens to my podcast is a really supportive, amazing person. The Google community is incredible. I feel very vulnerable on Instagram. Yeah, social media in general is kind of mm -hmm. one of them things, isn't it? Like, I'm very wary with any social media, like not just Instagram, all of that. I'm just like, oh, I don't know. It gives me this weird feeling. But I think, like I said, I do feel a bit protected on the podcast, though. Yeah. Because you know that your listeners, isn't it? Like, yeah, tuning in to hear you. They kind of have to go out of their way to hear you. Do you know there's people rooting for you who are yeah. listening? Yeah. And obviously, I've shared so many private things, especially with Tally, like my little girl who we just had in Georgia. I think since we've come home from Ireland, even though she's my biological daughter, she's my DNA in Ireland, I'm not her mother. Yeah, I've seen so, this as well. Actually, I wanted to touch on that, George. I just I didn't know where you're comfortable to yeah. open up about that. So uh, you were very private about where you were going to get this done, weren't you? Because obviously we follow each other on Instagram and you didn't really announce that you were going to Georgia. You just said you were going to get your daughter. Yeah, good observation. Yeah, I don't miss a trick. If the group early in the morning, they catch COV. <laughs> I was, you know, after Ukraine, the war broke out in Ukraine and I just felt it was so, I felt just really vulnerable after Ukraine because I'd shared so much and I felt, like I said to Jamie one night, like, I feel a bit stupid and he was like how could you feel stupid and I was like I just I just do you know when something just doesn't happen the way you thought it would you do feel I felt a little bit um silly and then so when we were going to Georgia I just really wanted to just protect the journey as much as I could I was really scared and I think with surrogacy obviously we wanted we did go through the really ethical and safe way. And we have an amazing relationship with our surrogate mother. But a lot of people don't really understand surrogacy. And mm. I didn't want people. I mean, I've I've had messages from people to say you bought your baby and horrific. How could you take your baby from its mother? Things like that. You know, I remember when I came home, I was jogging down the road and I put up a picture of of my run and someone wrote back being like, how's your surrogate mother? You know, things like that. So it's very delicate, you know, and I totally understand that there is a huge conversation to be had about surrogacy and it needs to be ethical and surrogate mothers need to be protected. But I, I you know, I can say with my hands on my heart that that was my truth in Georgia 
and we have the most incredible memories from Tbilisi and we met the most amazing people. But yeah, it's just, you know, yourself, you know, putting it out there, especially when it's your beautiful child. Yeah, it's mental carry on that people would even stoop so low. As you said, you could have your own views on it, but like you're not to face the surrogacy around the world. Like your decision is not going to change anything yeah. in these laws now. Like if, whether you did or you didn't go down the path that you're going down, what like I just don't see how people giving you these horrible, horrible messages changes anything. Like, do you know what I mean? Oh, it's disgusting. But at one point, it's actually more popular than people actually realize. Like Ronaldo, Ronaldo has like surrogate kids, and I think um, Kim Kardashian as well. Kardashian, like, yeah. A lot of people do it. Like, and it's only when you look into it, it's actually mental how many people do it. But I'm guaranteeing that like sharing pictures of Kim Kardashian, being like, oh, doesn't she look great? Isn't she? Isn't she an, an icon or whatever? Bet you're not texting horrible messages. Yeah, it's definitely, I suppose, more. it's more accessible now for people and people have their own reasons as to why they, they don't carry their own. I mean, I could have carried my second child, but I was terrified of relapsing. You know, I had a pregnancy-related cancer. I was like, oh my God, what if, what if I relapsed? I'd never forgive myself, you know? So that was the safest way to do it for our family. Mm -hmm. Which is crazy that people are criticizing that. Yeah. In but it's it's ninety nine point nine percent so amazingly positive. Yeah. You yeah. know, and the people like I've had Instagram followers offer to carry my baby for me. Unbelievable. You know, and said, Georgie, like, it's, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. If there's any way, like, I do it for you. I do, like, strangers, yeah. you know, and there's so much of that in the world. And that's the side of Instagram I love. That's the side of social media. If only we could forget about yeah. the negative eyes that are on us and focus on the positive because there's so many more positive. Yeah. I just think sometimes it's easy to focus on the negative when you get it. Do you ever do that? Yeah. Like I get that sometimes where there's like a load of good comments and someone writes something and I'm like, oh, you prick, yeah, and I'm focusing on that. Not so much anymore, though, I feel like I've... But I feel like some of the negative are extremely negative, if that makes sense. Like, you could do something and everyone like, this was unbelievable. Or someone could just say, I didn't really enjoy this, and you'd be like, grand. Yeah. But then someone might say, this was absolutely fucking terrible. I can't believe this was put out there. Then you'd be like, okay, that was a bit unnecessary. Yeah. yeah. They're the ones I, I'd be like whoa, this person needs help. Like, you could say I didn't enjoy this and that's okay. But to go in that deep on it, I'm like, are you okay? Like, you mentioned your man who's running the length of Africa. Have you seen the amount of abuse he does get? No, He's I running. didn't. Why would people... That's really how I came about his story. Because I've seen a lot of people giving him stick. And I was like, I thought it was just another person running. And people were slagging him for running or something like that. And I was like, fellas, out for a jog, relax. Then I looked into him. <laughs> out for a jog, just through the whole of Africa. But then I looked into him, I was like, this fella is running the length of Africa to raise money for charity. And you're criticising him. I'm like, yeah. what is wrong with you? What, like, what is going, what thought process goes through your head to think, fuck him? Yeah. What? He's doing nothing but, like, Imagine how torturous that is for him every day. And he's running like 60 kilometers a day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sleeping in a, like the back of a camper van. They go and do it again tomorrow. But yeah. you don't, but the thing, you don't actually have to support it, but to hate it is madness. <laughs> it's mental, Gary. <laughs> you know? So how can you look at him and be like, prick? Yeah. Like, what? It, it's, it's like, that's why I get so hung up on the negativity because that fascinates me that you could be so negative about something that's so positive. Yeah, but the thing is, is like, are you going to let... So Jamie is really good. He's like my life coach, my therapist, my husband, the father of my children. And he'll always give me such a good pep talk. He's like, Georgie, are you going to let five people tear down the business that you have built for five years because you're you're going to focus on those five people and not on the thousands yeah. of people that love the good glow and want you to continue the good glow and get up every day and talk to them. Like, why are you hiding behind a curtain? Because you're afraid of five people. Mm -hmm. And I think we can, it's like we can all get hung up on that, can't we? And 
it's easy to let the negative in. But then I think once you look around and you see the negative person who's saying something negative about you two on the late late also said something probably negative about me on the late late. Yeah, yeah. You know, I never and has anything positive to say about anything. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, go through that tweet. Just yeah, go through yeah, and yeah. everything is bad, everything. Like, like you said, when you go through, sometimes, like, I, I will do that. I see someone saying something really negative, and then I click on that tweet, and I'm like, oh, everything is fucking negative. <laughs> Not actually just yeah. me, I'm sound. Do you never feel bad for them people? I do. I actually, you know, like, a friend of mine, I got a very bad comment a few months ago, and I mean, like, it sent me west. Like, it completely rocked me, and a friend of mine sent me down, and he told me all the bad things that people have ever said about him. Horrible, horrible things, and he says... I didn't let them win. And you know what? And I was like, you're right. He was like, it says more about them than it does about you. Yeah. And when you look at it like that, these people need help. Mm-hmm. Like they do, like trolls and people who are going out of their way to bring everybody down need help. They do need help. I really connected with what Jay-Z said at the Grammys on Sunday. Did you see it? No. So about like Beyonce being overlooked. No, <laughs> I was like, what are you on about? Oh no, I'm not going to do a Kanye on it. But um, when he said at the end of his speech, if no, if you haven't seen it, go look it up. It's brilliant. He said, forget about the Grammys. So he's talking about awards and winning awards. He goes, forget about it all. He said, don't give up until you are the greatest of all time. Don't give up until you're the chairperson, until you're the CEO, till you're following your dreams. And like, forget everything else. Forget the noise. Just focus on what you're doing. Be the best version of you. Like I, when I line up on the New York half marathon, I was my biggest troll. I, for so many years, for 10 years, I didn't have a social media platform, but I was sitting at my desk trolling myself every day, telling myself I was stupid. I wasn't funny enough. I wasn't clever enough to work in news talk. Uh, I wasn't pretty enough. You know, that's why the hairspray was on my desk and I had to keep, you know, putting on more makeup because I was trolling myself. So when I line up then at the New York Half Marathon, now I'm 39 And I see that from the start of my 30s to now, I am such a different person because I stop beating myself up every day. So, you know, like Jay-Z said, don't stop until you're the greatest of all time, the greatest version of you of all time. And I will never stop believing in myself. You should get, have you had Greg O'Shea on the pod? No. No. He's brilliant. But he said to me uh, last year, he's coming with us to do the New York half. And he said, Georgie, would you ever do a full marathon? And I went back to that version of myself and I said, oh, Jesus, no way, Greg, I'd never (laughs) be able to do that. And then I was like, wait a minute. Maybe I will. You had to catch yourself there. And yeah. be like, I had to yeah. catch myself. The old stories, just kept telling myself those old stories over and over and over again. Who knows? Maybe I will do a full marathon someday. I will never say never to anything anymore. Mm. Touching on the Grammys, there must have been some very inspirational speeches given. Do you know Killer Mike? He's in Run oh, the Jewels. Nick, did he? he got arrested on the night as well. I don't know what happened there, but he, <laughs> Killer Mike. I'm about to bring up the negative. Before yeah. that, he did something really yeah. inspirational. He won three Grammys on the night. So he was nominated for three, he won all three. And in his speech, he says, never let anyone tell you it's too late. Never let anyone tell you it's too old. And never let anyone tell you not to dream. Because he's at the win the whole sweep there, ahead of everyone else who was nominated. And it's just kind of touching on like, yeah, you can be confined by these negative comments or wherever. But he's like, these people are living proof. As they you said, Jay-Z are. as well. Like, look at where Jay-Z's came from. And like, he's running Rockefeller Records. He's the CEO. He's the greatest in the world. And it's, it's nice to know, Georgie, that like, you are so positive but you still have that like bit of dough and you have to catch yourself. Yeah. Because that kind of, because it's all it's easy to say like, oh, just get up in the morning and smile. But then it's like, no, I battle that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you're the catching yourself there being like, yeah, I can run a half marathon. Yeah, I'll do that. No problem. Oh, I don't think I can run twice that. But you know what? I might do that someday. Yeah, actually I will. So you turn that negative into a positive straight away. Yeah. Oh, no, I definitely don't don't wake up. And I, I speak about this like invisible string that sometimes pulls me down in mm. the mornings. And especially on the dark mornings, January was tough. It was long. The light was blue coming in my windows. I was like, how am I going to get through this day? You know, because I am my biggest critic. And I've got a big year of work ahead of me. How am I going to get through it? How am I going to keep it going? 
And then I know I've been here before. I know what to do. I know I need to change my energy. I know that I need to get outside. I need to do my exercise. I need to drink my water. Just do the things that I know are going to keep me well. And I do, I, I sometimes put on a song on Alexa and change the energy in my house, like with a really nice song in the morning. And that three minutes can change your outlook. But it's it's knowing where to turn in those really dark moments. And when you really know yourself and get to know yourself, then you, you can do that for yourself. Mm. Georgie, a question we get asked all the time on the podcast, I want to ask you for your podcast. Who was a guest that really inspired you and why? Probably a tough question to put you on the spot with. Yeah. The, just a guest that stands out. There's so many women that I've had on that have told their stories. So on the Google, we'll have educational. So that's like Wim Hof, Mel Robbins. Then we'll have entertaining. So that's your Suzanne Jackson, Des Bishop, people like that. And then we have real life stories. So I have the everyday people coming in and telling me their stories. So I had this girl, Jenny Miller, who went overseas and went, went and and volunteered in an orphanage and fell in love with a little girl and adopted her and brought her home. I had Sinead Hingston, whose husband died in the water on their honeymoon when she was pregnant. I've had so many incredible women coming in to tell their stories of absolute rock bottom hell that they never thought they'd get through and they, they come out the other side. And then they tell their story to help other people. So they're amazing. Jerry Hussey, I mean, we all love Jerry, right? Do you want to be in my Jerry Hussey fan club? <laughs> You're already in there. <laughs> Jerry is the fucking man. Is he? Tell me how it came about with you two. So I, I first was friends with Miriam, his wife. And then I was kind of, oh yeah, we put Jerry on the podcast during COVID. So I never actually met him. And... The podcast skyrocketed for like both of us were getting stopped on the street about it. And then we did a course together, a good glow. I created a course and I met Jerry for the first time in Portugal. And uh, it was so funny. We rented this villa. It was really echoey. So on the morning that we he was coming in, we brought an entire like video crew and I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to meet Jerry. Like, and people were texting me going, he's like the Irish Jesus. And I was <laughs> like, oh, my God, Jerry. So I was like, it has to be perfect for Jerry. But the echo was so bad. We had to take every mattress down from upstairs and like put it all around the set so that our our voices wouldn't, wouldn't bounce. Yeah, yeah. So it looked like like a porn studio like so he was coming <laughs> to the to the villa and we had all these beds laid out and Jerry walks in he's like what the hell <laughs> and an hour later Jerry was in the kitchen he took his shirt out of his pants for I don't know whatever reason and he was eating a banana sandwich and I was like oh my god he's so normal he's so bloody normal and that's what people love about him and since then we've just been the best of buds yeah and now you have your own podcast. Yeah, better days. Yeah, um, I've heard a bit of it. I heard, <laughs> I heard Charlie can be very cutthroat as well on it. Fair. <laughs> stripping people down there. Writing to 12 of his friends, releasing them as his friends in a letter. I don't know if you guys would ever do that. Uh, so Jerry, you know, he shares things throughout his life that have helped him get to where he is today. And some people agree with him and, and some people don't. But, you know, Jerry, Jerry doesn't care. Mm. <laughs> And that's the beauty of it. Not everyone has to agree with you. You know yeah. what I mean? And he's not afraid to, to let his emotions be heard. Well, that, that's why that's his whole thing, isn't it? It's to express your emotion. Yeah. So, and just be honest. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so hard to be honest sometimes with how we're honest with ourselves and honest for people around us. And, you know, we can spend our lives kind of tippy-toeing around people and tippy-toeing around ourselves like what do I actually want mm. who do I want to be who can I become and go for it because I mean you'll be waiting a long time for someone to knock on your door and hand you that life that you really want for yourself but then also to ask yourself why am I doing this for what I mean I was working so hard in the good glow about two years ago like burning the candle at both ends and and I was like why am I actually working so hard mm. and I didn't I I was like well f yeah to, to have a successful business and to have more money but 
do I actually need any more money? Like, I really like my, I live in a small house. I really like my small house. I actually, if I had all the money in the world, would I move? Like, probably not. So to kind of get like conscious in your life and say, why am I doing this? And to see if maybe you can just take it a little bit easier on yourself. Mm. Mm. If you are all right with doing it, can we go back to what you were saying about the surrogate rights in Ireland? What's, What's the situation there? So Irish families through surrogacy are doing some incredible work um, and it's looking really positive that international surrogacy will be recognised here and hopefully by this summer or Christmas that the legislation will be passed and I can go back retrospectively and become Tally's mother. So the reason I got involved in that campaign was because our solicitor, Nat Hickey, was telling us that, you know, when you bring Tally home, Jamie is the parent, the only parent Tally will have. And with Jamie's permission, if he chooses to sign a piece of paper in two years, you can become Tally's guardian. And I was like, what? And Irish family, like people were asking me to like get involved in the campaign. I was like, oh, I don't know, like... It's a bit premature, like I haven't even had a transfer. And and then they were like, when I thought about the women who maybe are quite vulnerable in that, because Jamie could just pack up and like leave me with Tally and I have no, absolutely no rights to her. And I'm in a really safe and secure and happy marriage, but not everybody is or things could change. So that's why I was like, I have to talk about this. And when I explained that to my followers, everyone was like, what? Mm. You know, there's so much that we don't realize or understand. I certainly didn't. So hopefully, like forgetting about me, my daughter is entitled to have two parents. If Jamie travels and something happens to her and we have to bring her to hospital, like I can't sign anything, Mm. you know? Mm. So just for her own protection, it's important for her to have two parents. Yeah, it's actually mad when you think about it. like it. As you said, not everyone knows about this stuff. It's kind of you hadn't a clue about that there, but it's mad when you actually say that. Yeah, mm. like that's well, yeah. There's a load of load of things in the Irish law with parents. It's very like grey areas. Yeah, it's only when someone highlights it to you and you're like, wait, what? So like, and for the people who like get up, you know, and fight for things like this, and there's so many women I know through surrogacy, and they've had their babies, and everything's fine, and they they are the guardians, but are still doing the work, who are still out there campaigning, um, for 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 all the children in Ireland. It's actually amazing. Mm. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, we'll uh, change soon this this year anyway. So yeah, just touching back on what you were saying about going for it taking the, the bet on yourself so whether that be in the gym or in the classroom that's one thing I always say to myself so you, you should never look down your nose or laugh at anyone that's in the gym or in the classroom because they're all in there just trying to better themselves one way or another so whether they're educating themselves or physically changing themselves mm. so I think we'll maybe there is someone out there that needs to hear that and you know someone might want to go back to education or someone might want to do a new course and be like oh what what, 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 who am I? I can't be doing that. As you said, I'm not that type of person. Yeah. So maybe there is people out there who just need to hear that and this this can be their sign from the universe, Georgie. Yeah, I love that. And just for anyone listening, like, be careful who you tell your stories to. Mm. So if you have an idea or you have like a hope or a dream in your heart and you feel like you're ready to take the leap, <laughs> take the plunge, be careful who you tell your stories to because... Luckily, when I went home from work that day and I said to Jamie, I think I'm going to start a podcast, there was a beat of silence when he turned and looked at me. (laughs) And then he said, that's exactly what you should do. And how lucky am I that that was his response, that he didn't burst out laughing in that moment or say, sure, don't be doing a stupid podcast. Like, you don't have time for that. Because how would that affect it, you know, yeah, what way I could have gone. Yeah. So when you have an idea, don't tell the person who you know is going to burst your bubble. It's like in better days when people are writing to myself and Jerry to say, you know, should I take the leap? Should I quit my job? My job is making me sick. And I really think that maybe I should go. They're writing to us because they know the answer they're going to get from us is go for it. Yeah. So just 
be careful who you tell your stories to. Go find a person who loves you and believes in you and tell them first and screw everyone else. Yeah. Or tell nobody and just fuck yeah. you. Absolutely. <laughs> 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 I mean, that's the best. Yeah. Just fuck If it feels right, you think it's right, go for it. No matter what it is. And if you're afraid to run down your own road, go park somewhere else and run down that road, you know? Start fucking somewhere. Yeah. No matter where yeah. it is. And don't take criticism from somebody you wouldn't take advice from. So Love there we are. <laughs> That's that's all the life coaching you need from us three. <laughs> <laughs> we'll Don't wrap this have week up. The blog, have you? Anything coming up? Anything happening? Oh well, um, yeah, I've got a new season of the Good Glow coming out. Good up. Got some great guests. Flat on the podcasts. Flat, yeah. flat, and I edit all my own podcasts. I produce all my own podcasts. So I am like Jerry Overload. The last yeah, month. <laughs> yeah. Sick of the fella now. <laughs> yeah. Why are you slugging her out like that? Why don't you? I know. I need to get a producer, don't I? Yeah, of course. Got a little team. That must be some graph way, you know? Like yeah, it is. And that's in. that's the letting go, which I find hard to do, you know? Yeah. Is that a trust thing? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's something I need to look at this year. Georgie, thanks for coming in to speak to us. We really do appreciate it. And else you have the plug. No, just like massive thanks to you two. I hope you feel the admiration from me to both of you and what you're doing. I think it's amazing. I always kind of am watching everything that you do and I just think you're deadly and I hope that maybe, you know, the way you spoke about going to the south side in your dry robes, mm-hmm. that maybe one day you might give me a ring and I can pop down. Let's 100%. Do Let's George, I remember we uh, bumped into you at the podcast awards yeah. and I gave you the sales pitch and I knew then, I was like... Be helpful. <laughs> That's it. But yeah. the reason I, I, it's taken me so long is because I didn't want you to ask me if I pee in the shower. And I'm not answering that question. So you do. <laughs> <laughs> you do. It's all right. And <laughs> uh, now, Georgie, thanks again for coming in. We really do appreciate it. Yeah. That's you. it, Terry. Georgie, you're a legend. Right. Take us out, Siobhan. Boom. Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Loud app. What you waiting for? The hip knocker.